Good morning again. The, um, the task of missions, when it comes to what's left, it's the hard stuff that's left. It's the dangerous stuff that's left. And so when we talk about missions, I think that final song we ended on was so perfect for where we're going to start. We're going to start in Revelation 5 and work our way back to Romans. So perfect for where we start. God undefeatable, kingdom unshakable, and majesty and power you reign. It does not matter that 4 billion, on the people, 4 billion people on the earth are unreached and have little or no access to the gospel. The kingdom is not defeated by numbers. The king, kingdom is not defeated and the purposes of God are not turned back because we don't give and we don't do what we're supposed to. And yet there are ways it's impacted because we don't give and we don't do what we're supposed to. But the kingdom, the mission of God, the purposes of God, they are walking out. And there is not a force in hell. There is not a force in government. There's not a prison. There's not a torture chamber. There's nothing on earth that is going to stop that mission from being accomplished. We're going to be working our way to Revelation 5 because um, we want to get a future picture. We want to get God's picture of missions. And then we're going to work our way back to Romans, where we're going to get our responsibility of walking that reality out in our present engagement. And so turn to to Revelation 5. Statisticians have given us, we know who the unreached are. We know what the missionary task is that's left. We know where the unreached are. So we know the geography and we know the people that are left. But do we have laborers for the harvest? Do we have the resources of God's people being radically unleashed so that there's no barrier on our responsibility to the gospel getting to every man, woman, and boy and girl on the planet? Let's look at it in Revelation chapter 5. We might be tempted to discouragement. We might be tempted that after hundreds of years of missions, And millions upon millions upon millions, probably in the billions of dollars, have been invested in the great missionary cause. And 60% of the world is still unreached. Some of which unengaged at all. So lest you're tempted to discouragement, I want you to see God's picture of missions in Revelation 5. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as I read it. And I I want to just ask you to let the scenery of Revelation 5 play out in your mind as it's being read. And so close your eyes if, if you are willing to, if you want to. And I want you to just hear the story of Revelations 5, Revelation 5 play out. And I want you to see it in your mind's eye. And John is in heaven and he saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. A scroll written on the back and see, inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb 
standing as though he had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the, all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Father, Father, Grant us to see the beauty and the majesty of this reality. That one day your throne will have people from every tribe and people from every language and people from every nation and people from every uh, tribe and tongue. People will gather around your throne, Father. Every people group on earth, their faces will be represented. There will be people there. Father, it's guaranteed. Grant us to never fear. It's guaranteed, grant us to never grow weary. It's guaranteed, grant us to never be discouraged. Father, we pray for our missionaries over all the earth. God, those in hard places that labor for years, and God, they don't see huge harvest. God, just secure them in the promise that their people group will be around the throne at the last day. And Father, I pray that as we, your people here, that you've granted to live in this country, that you've granted prosperity to. Oh, Father, just open up our hearts to pour out our lives, to pour out our resources, to pour out our commissioning so that all the nations might hear. And that we might do our part, that the nations will be gathered around your throne because we gave, because we prayed, because we sent, because we went. And so, Father, I just beg you to do a work among your people gathered here right now that unleashes something new and something radical and something sacrificial and something more and something different, not because we feel guilty, but because we feel adoration, because we feel worship, because we feel that the weight of the glory of God is better than any other glory. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you look at this passage... So I guess the first question becomes, what is this scroll? And I'm just going to give it to you briefly because it's not really the focus... This scroll is what I would say it is God's covenant of redemption. It is his contract of redemption from the cross before all the way through the final consummation where he brings his saints to reign with him joyfully forever in the place we know of as heaven. And so we're meant to walk through this story and run into John's reaction. No one's worthy to open up the scroll. No one's worthy to finish the work of redemption. No one's worthy to secure the final work of redemption. No one's worthy to usher us into this final place with God in joy and reigning forever. 
And if that's true, it's devastating. And John was devastated. As he sees the angel search the heavens and search the earth and search under the earth, he is devastated because there is no one to finish this work. And then the elder comes up and says, wait, look, there is a lion The Lion of Judah, the one guaranteed from Genesis 49 that would come and he would reign in a reign of righteousness and a reign of justice and peace over all the earth forever. That one has come. The Root of David, you know the Messiah, the one that you've promised will have an everlasting kingdom. He's come. And then John looks up and what does he see? Not a lion. Not a conquering king Messiah. A lamb. A bloody, sacrificed lamb. And because he is bloody and because he is sacrificed, he is conquered. Because he bled, he won. And we won in him. And this bloody sacrificial lamb is what he looks at. This lion that is a lamb is what he looks at. And this lion is worthy because he sacrificed. This lion is worthy to break open and complete God's plan of redemption for all the ages. And then heaven erupts. The natural outflow of redemption is worship. The fuel of further mission is worship. Do you see that? I saw a slain bloody lamb and then heaven erupts at this point. Three different times in these closing few verses, heaven erupts in worship in successive levels. And so it starts out with the elders and the creatures singing. And what do they sing? Worthy is this bloody lamb. Worthy is this lion. Why is he worthy? Because he ransomed people. And what people did he ransom? People from every tribe and tongue and nation and, lang- uh, and language, every tribe and uh, people and nation. He's ransomed them. Why do we declare worship? Why do we sing? Why, why does heaven erupt at this moment? Because there's one worthy to ra- redeem people. Redemption leads to worship. Worship fuels mission. And so what you see here is a guarantee in God's future when the books of time close. There is no question mark that every people group on earth will be represented. There is no question mark that there will be gathered around this throne people from every single distinct group of people. Whether it be language or whether it be national and political or whether it be the the ethnic, ethnic people groups. There will be no one missing around the throne. It's guaranteed Like we send missionaries out, no matter where we send them, and no matter how hard it is, and no matter how broken it is, and no matter how dangerous it is, there is a guarantee that when time closes, those people will have a representative, or myriads of representatives around the throne of Jesus. And what will they be doing that made it worth it? Worshiping Him. That's what makes it worth it. And then the angels show up. Much like the night of Christmas, right? They show up and they surround myriads upon myriads and myriads of angels. Even the same words. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. Worship goes further. And then, because we're singing about Jesus, heaven can't contain itself. And so the angels and the living creatures and the elders and everything on earth and everything in heaven and everything under the earth and everything in the sea erupts in praises also. Do you see that as it closes? To him who is on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and forever. And they fall down and they worship. 
John Piper put it this way. It's the statement about missions that has always uh, stood out to me and has just stayed in my heart. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Because God is ultimate and not man. So worship is ultimate and not missions. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before Jesus, that's Revelation 5 that we're talking about, missions will be no more. In Revelation 5, there is no more missions, but there will be eternal worship. It reminds me of Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord, all you peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, uh, ascribe to the Lord, you people. Ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. Why do we do missions? Because it's guaranteed. Why do we do missions? Because there are people all over the earth, over 60% of which have little to no access to the gospel whatsoever, who steal the glory of God and they give it to a statue, or they give it to a false god, or they give it to an image, or they give it to millions, 300 millions of gods, get their glory, but not the one true God who has, redeemed them, who has offered them redemption through Jesus Christ. We do missions because they don't worship God. They worship something else. So let's work our way back to Romans at this point. Romans 15 is now the present reality for us. What is our part to make Revelations 5 happen? Revelation 5 happen. There's no S on the end of it. Reminding myself. What is our part in Romans 15 to see the work of God complete itself in that final day of, of Revelation 5? God's guaranteed it, but he's guaranteed it through human means. And for some reason, that's the way God has chosen to work. If you were God, you might do it another way, but guess what? You're not. I'm not either. So he gets to do it how he wants to do it, and that's a good thing. Look at Romans 15, 15 through 21. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, and look at the language he uses, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified in the Holy, or by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have a reason to be proud for, uh, of my work for God. For I will not even venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, that is, faith, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem to Lycrium, all the way around to Lycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach not where Jesus has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So let's look at this. We all have a part to pray, play in spreading God's glory to the nations. We all have a part to play in spreading God's glory to the nations. I want you to think about it this way. This is, I was listening to a sermon yesterday in the car, and it, it just struck me from, a, for, from missions. If we choose to make man the center of the universe, and if we choose to make Jesus about us, and if we choose to make man's glory and man's praise and man's esteem our central tenant, and that God's all about us and Jesus is all about us, it will kill the gospel in our lives. It's not the gospel. But worse than that, it will kill missions. Because we would never have a God who's about us send us to hard, broken places. We would never have a God that is about us 
send us into places where it's dangerous for us and we might die and the people we minister to might die. It just wouldn't happen. But if we love the glory of God and if God is about the glory of God and if Jesus is about the glory of God and if Jesus saves people so that we become about the glory of God and we love the glory of God, the gospel will be true. And the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ will compel something out of us so much more than as if he's about us. It'll compel a radical, sacrificial generosity out of us. It'll compel us to go or to be sent to the hardest places on earth for the glory of God we live and for the glory of God we die because it's the glory of God that we love and that we're about. So look at this first little section. We share the gospel as as a priestly service and an act of worship of God. That's missionaries over there and that's you and me right here. We share the gospel as priests as a priestly service, an act of worship to God. Did you know that you're a pastor? Or to put it biblically, did you know that you're a priest? Did you know that you, we believe in what's called the priesthood of believers, that every single one of us is priest to God? Every single one of us. Like, like I don't have some special access to God that you don't have. There's not these holy things that I get to touch, but you don't get to. That's the Old Testament, Right? And they could have had it too. They just refused it and wanted Moses instead. We are all priests to God. That is, we all mediate God to the world. So we all go to God. We can know him. We can understand him. We can hear from him. I don't get anything special from God that you don't get. Like if I get a word from God, it's not that you cannot go and get a word from God also. And it doesn't make mine any better. It means mine gets tested in community just the way yours does. I don't mean a word from God is in a new page of your Bible. I mean like a calling. We're all priests. And our, our, our function as priests is to know God and then to represent God to the world around us. That's the function of the priest, right? He went and he knew God. And then knowing God, he went and mediated God and showed God to the people. And then the people came to him and, he took what, and they took what was offered and gave them to God. And that's all of us. In the gospel. You know God through his son Jesus. And you know him the same as I know him. And you're just as much a priest as I'm a priest to him. And there's a whole world that doesn't. There's a whole world you walk around in every day that I will never be in. There are people you pass every day that I will never pass. You're their priest, not me. You are the one meant to represent God to those people, not me. And the people we send all across the nations, they are the priests that we've sent all across the nations to raise up other priests who will take God and make him known to the world around them. Look at that in the text. It's amazing the way Paul refers to the gospel here. And I want us to look at the text and I want us to see it the way it is. But then let's strip out the things that are unique to Paul and see if it also is true of us. And so look at it. By the grace given to me, I would say that's by the spiritual gift, the grace, charismata, the the spiritual gift given to me. The calling of Paul's life was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And then look at the words he uses. Minister, priestly service, offering, acceptable. That sounds like an Old Testament sacrifice, doesn't it? It's meant to. Paul has been given the ministry of the Gentiles, the ministry to those who have never heard or never known, the, the, the ministry to those the farthest away from God that they can possibly be. And he's been given this ministry, this priestly service. And what is his priestly service? What is his knowing God that he then takes to the Gentiles and says, here is, your, here is God? What is it? The gospel. 
When Paul shares the gospel, he is functioning as a priest saying, here is God and here's what he's like and here's what he has done in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to him. And then do you see what happens in the text when they believe? Do you see when the nations believe? Do you see when the believers, people in Somalia believe or the people in Statesboro believe? Do you see what happens? This priest gathers them up like a, like a, uh, like a lamb or a goat or a sheep or a grain offering or a drink offering, and he receives this offering of a, of a person coming to faith in Jesus. And what does he do? Oh, look at me, denominational scorecard. I did so good. Look at me. Another notch in the Bible for Paul. No, what does he do? He receives the offering of a life given to Christ through the gospel by the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the Spirit, and he turns to God and he says, Here, this is my priestly offering to you. I have taken and I have represented you to the world, and now the world has come, and I'm bringing the world and I'm placing them in worship to you. Do you see that? My priestly service, my offering, what do I have to offer those who the Holy Spirit has sanctified, those who have believed through the work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel? All right, and so Paul worked in, you know, uh, Middle East. He worked in Southern Europe. So that was kind of his area. So that's different. I, I don't know that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not there as far as I can tell. And Paul was an apostle. I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. Not in the 12 sense, not in the sense you, that you get to write scripture. Um, so take those out. Am I charged with the gospel? Yes. Are you charged with the gospel? Yeah. Do you get to make excuses because you're not a pastor? No, because you are a pastor. Do you get to make excuses because you're not a priest? No, that's not my job. That's the people we pay. That's their job. Nope. If you're a priest of God, then you know God, and you represent God to people, and when those people come, you bring them as an act of worship to God. That does not change because you're not Paul or not Chris or not something else. It enhances You've been given a gospel. You've been entrusted as a stewardship to walk it across the street or to walk it across the globe so that Jesus may have the worship, may have the offering, may have the sacrifice that his sacrifice earned for him, made him worthy of. You're a priest. You are a priest, all of you. Your ministry is the gospel, all of you. And me. I'm not leaving myself out. And our offering to God at the end of the ages is, look, Look at the people the Holy Spirit brought through the gospel that you sent me with. Here, Jesus, the offering you're worthy of. Here, Jesus, the one who was slain and stands above everything. Worthy are you because you ransomed these people. Here, here is an offering. Here's an offering. You're a priest, all of us. Some priests get sent where they don't come from, and some people get, priests get sent across the street. But we're all priests. We all represent God to a lost world, and we all bring that lost world to God through the gospel as an offering. Y'all okay? All right? Still there? Let's keep going. We share the gospel in word and deed by the power of the Spirit so that Christ alone is glorified. We share the gospel in word and deed by the power of the Spirit so that Christ alone is glorified. We make an awful lot, especially, I mean, I'm sure it's always been. I just, my frame of reference is the last 50 or 60 years. We make a lot of, 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 like, talk about methods. Methods of sharing the gospel. And I've gotten to see them all. I've gotten to see, well, not all of them. I've gotten to see a lot of them. You know, there's the Big Tent Revival. There's sports ministry. There's seeker-sensitive. There's big game suppers. There's um, felt needs. There's... Um, 
you know, mercy ministry. There's whatever. I've seen all, a lot of the methods. And what I think every part of the spectrum, what we tend to miss is what Paul says right here. There's a method behind our methods. And none of our methods will work apart from these. None of our mercy ministries and none of our sports ministries will work apart from what Paul says right here. So he's given his methods. He's given you an insight into what, it, what it's about. And he starts with this strange statement. And he's like, ah, in Christ, I've got a reason to be proud about what I've done for God. You're thinking, that's strange. Because not generally does God, is God a big fan of boasting or a big fan of being proud. But look what he says. I, I can be proud of my work for God. But look at the reason why. Because I wouldn't even dare to open my mouth to say anything to you except for what Jesus has done. I wouldn't fill out one denominational scorecard and send it in if it didn't say this is what Jesus did. I wouldn't put one notch in my Bible anyways, but if I did put a notch in my Bible, I would not put one notch in my Bible if it were not a mark to say, look what Jesus did. I would not say, look at me for one second if it, except for if it were to say, look what Jesus did. And that's what Paul says. I think that's what we're supposed to say. There's nothing about my life to boast in. There's nothing about my life to look at. There's nothing about my accomplishments that I would dare open my mouth about and dare want you to say thank you for or notice in any way except for to know that Jesus accomplished every single one of them. That's what he says. And then look at his methods. Method one, word and deed. Word and deed. Do you see that? And so he, he makes this obedience of the Gentiles through word and through Deed. So there's a way that we put Jesus on display with our lives. And in putting Jesus on display with our lives, that is our love, our service, our humility, our integrity, our marriages, the way we treat people, the way we deal with the issues around us, the way we serve people and care about people. Word. I mean, deed. But we want to stop there, don't we? I just want to be a nice person and say I go to church and that'd be good enough. Uh uh-uh. uh. Word and deed. And word is not. Come to church, though it's great to invite people to church. Word is not, I'm a Christian, though it's great to be a Christian, and they know that. I certainly wouldn't hide the fact. Word is not moral, moral uh, get the culture to be moral. Word is the word of Jesus. And if we don't name Jesus, we've not done the gospel. And if we do all the mercy works in the world and relieve all the suffering in the world, and we don't name Jesus, we have done worse than nothing. Because the eternal suffering that comes is so much greater than the physical suffering that's endured in life. And we'll never get all that stuff gone. It's a broken world. But we can offer them hope and life that will change things. Word and deed. Are you sharing and are you serving? Displaying and declaring. And then he talks about signs and wonders. We won't get into that as much. I would just say those are supernatural acts of service. So if Robbie and Chrissy are walking down the street of wherever they happen to be serving and blind people start seeing, praise God. That's so awesome. Are dead people come back to life and they write us in about it? Great. Not shocked at all. Because when you're surrounded by a sea of lostness and you have a message and God chooses to authenticate that message, great. But until then, what does it look like to just serve? So that when God wants to make it supernatural, we call it a miracle or a sign of wonder, great. But until then, we serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. All your serving, all your caring, all your loving, all your methods, all your argumentations are nothing unless the Holy Spirit shows up in power. See, God must work and we must work for salvation to happen. We must declare the gospel and the Holy Spirit must work with power or it doesn't happen.
All right, we've got to go quickly. We're going to get to the missionary part here. I want you to feel the weight that it's your responsibility here, and it's not a lot different other than the clothes it wears when, you, when it's gone there. But look at this last part. Some must go where Jesus has not been named. All must pray and give to make that happen. Some must go where Jesus has not been named. All must pray and give to make that happen. We're all sent ones, yes. But don't dare reduce the world to your world and the tribes of the earth to your tribe and the nations of the earth to your nation. God has a global heart that deserves global glory and he will not rest and he will not close the age until he's received it. And every one of these people groups are represented around the throne. Some must go where he's not named. Some must go further than across the street. And so as long as this is uh, happening, as long as there are unreached people in the world, God is a sending God. And he will continue to send people. And we will all have a part in sending people. So we need pioneers. We need God to send people. And here's the hard part for me as a pastor, because as of now, God has not called me to missions I've asked him a few times. Don't tell Amy. And so the hard part for me is I have to look people in the face and say, God may be calling you to the most dangerous places on earth, and it may cost you dearly to go there. But God may be calling you. God may be calling you to take your family to the hardest places on earth geographically, or the hardest places on earth spiritually, or the hardest places on earth that it may cost you your life. And I have to look you in the eyes and say, is God calling you? Is God sending you? And I have to do that with integrity. And I have to do that as the one who speaks on God's behalf from his word. Somebody has to go where Jesus hadn't been named. And here's the hard part. We've, we've, I was reading it this week, and it's a guy that's on the mission field, or done a lot of work in missions, not me. Do you know that we're sending most, well, we're not. Most overseas workers work in Christian places. And as a pastor who sits in South Georgia, which is one of the safest places to be a pastor on earth, I would have to walk into those situations if God ever called me to and say, are you sure God isn't calling you to leave your Christian foreign context to go into a, Christian, a non-Christian dangerous context with the gospel? Are you sure that God isn't calling you to give this church over to the nationals to say it's your job to reach your nation because God is equipping and sending and paying for me to go to other nations? But we have to say it. Even while we're safe, we have to say it. But let's don't say it unless we're serving and sharing. Let's don't say it unless we're going. Let's don't say it unless our priest service of the gospel is here, like there. But then let's say it. Look at what Paul says, closing out, and we're going to turn this over. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Jesus has already been named. If you see it in a verse from there, he's like, I've already filled, fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. For a 1,700-mile swatch of the world, Paul said, I've finished the gospel work there. Done. Does that mean they're all saved? No, it means they have a church that's capable of evangelizing their region, and so the missionary is done. That's what he's saying. And instead of wanting to go where you're working or where someone else is working, he wants to go where nobody's working. It's his ambition. It's his drive within him. 
And we need God to raise up pioneers. And I would pray that somebody in this room or many of you in this room hear a fresh ambition for your life, not an ambition to be rich, not an ambition to accumulate enough in your 401k to retire in comfort one day, hopefully earlier, maybe later. I hope that God will give some of you a new ambition that is something different than the American dream, something different than a career that your college has equipped you for, or something different than the career you've been going on all along. I, I would just ask that God would give you a fresh ambition to say there are people in the world that are dangerous and there's people in the world that are hard and nobody's telling them and God would you give me an ambition God are you giving me an ambition to go to those people and I pray there's people in in this room right now and I have to say that as someone that is generally going to be in a safe place but I have to say it because Paul said it. It's my ambition, not where he's been named, but those that have never been told of him. They'll see and those that have never heard will understand. And is God calling you to that? I want you to wrestle with that question. I don't avoid it myself. I wrestle with it. Is God calling you to be the one that goes to the hard place? Is God calling you to be the one that goes to the dangerous place? Is God raising you up and sending you to the nations that do not have access to the gospel Which means they're horrible places in some senses. They are so broken and cut off from our understandings of grace. So broken and cut off by so many elements of common grace that exist where Christianity has been before. And they're not there. They're not there. And I want to pop the bubble. This is not some adventure you're going to go on. They don't want you there. They're not just waiting. Oh, please show up and tell me about Jesus. They hate you for being there and they want to silence you being there. And yet there's a word and there's a gospel and there's a spirit and there's a future throne that they will all gather around just beside you and just beside me. And they will worship the lamb who was slain. By the way, God's mission doesn't stop at 65. Some of you may have some free time and some resources to be sent to learn a language, to go all over the earth with your freedom. Don't, don't walk away from the question because you've got more gray hairs than I do. This is the question that God may put on all of our hearts. Is it me? And if it's not me, what am I going to do to resource the ones that it is? Pray. No, I mean, really. Give in a whole new way. I mean, a whole new way. Is he calling you to go? Or has he already sent you just across the street? We get a great privilege now. We've got some home folks, some family members that are there. And I think it's best that we let them come and share a little bit and challenge us a little bit uh, to take those next steps. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys and let you uh, share some of this with us. This is Robbie and Chris. I'm trying to delay it long enough for them to switch recordings and whatnot.